In this episode of Info Product Mastery, Paul Millard comes on the show and we question the default path to life and work. This is Info Product Mastery, episode 25. Welcome to Info Product Mastery, the podcast that helps developers make life-changing money by building and selling online courses. I'm your host, Adrian Rosebrock. And honestly, today is like a bucket list day for me. And likely, I'm going to have a few fanboy moments on this show as I get to have one of my favorite people ever on the show, Paul Millard. Paul is the owner of think-boundless.com and author of The Pathless Path, my most highlighted book of the year. Seriously, one of my highlighters actually ran out of ink while going through his book. Nearly every other page was highlighted. And to me, the difference between a good book and a truly excellent book is in the truth that it tells. A good book may tell me things I didn't already know and then explain them in some sort of special, unique manner. But an excellent book, well, that tells me truths that I already knew that lived inside of me, but really I lacked the words to explain properly. The pathless path falls into that truly excellent category. After I finished reading Paul's book back in February, I reached out to him and found that he was hosting regular Wednesday office hours. It was really special for me to be able to meet with him and speak with him right after reading his book. And furthermore, that was just a really transformative, hard time for me. Time search was just acquired. I was burnt out and exhausted. My mental health just really wasn't where I wanted it to be. And while I'm certainly not a religious person, I do believe that if you pay attention People enter your life at critical times. And Paul was one of those people for me. I'm so excited to have him on the show so we can learn from his experiences. Paul, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. That was the most uh, generous intro I've had. So I really appreciate that. And I'm so glad the book resonated with you. Oh, yeah, man. That, that book was truly special to me. And I, like I said, it, it just came at the exact right time in my life where the business had been acquired and I was just trying to figure out what in the world was next for me. Because I, I had this label in my head, like I am an entrepreneur, I build, I create, I, I sell content. And that's all I could think of myself as. But going through your work and you know through, through your stories, I realized like, mm, there is this alternative path and it is okay to, to take that path. So honestly, like, thank you for that. Going back to how you described the book, I think... The interesting thing for me is my writing over the past five years has been pretty much the same thing you described, which was I have this sense that something is off, something is weird about the way we're conceiving of work. And writing for me was really this search for like my own truth and like the truth of like what is actually going on. Before I left my job, I would talk to people and people would just say these hand wavy things to me like, you can't just not work. What are you going to do? Like quit your job and do your own thing? And I did. And along the way, I sort of discovered that I think you're sort of forced to discover some of these things working on your own, or at least I was, that a lot of what we think about work is sort of an abstraction or a story that we apply to our lives. And we're sort of living that out. And then when you're thrown off course, and you go without a script, it's a little bit disorienting. And which really motivated me to write the book, which is to find the others for me. I wanted to find people like you who are similarly confused. So 
it's sort of a win-win for me that people are actually reading the book. <laughs> Definitely. And you know, you've had quite the journey from college to working at this super popular consulting group to your health failing, eventually leaving that job and, and following your own path, despite criticisms from your friends and relatives. And I, I know your story from reading the book, but can you tell it to our listeners so they can understand where you've been and how you, know, how you got to where you are today? Yeah, so I grew up with parents that didn't go to college. And a big thing for them was do good in school, go to college. That's how you will succeed in life. And for the most part, I actually liked school. I'm not one of these people that looks back at school and was like, this, is, this ruined me. I think the one thing, however, was that by being good at school, you're sort of shepherded along a route. Do good in school, apply to this college, and eventually you get surrounded by people, which I did at UConn when I finally went to college, which were like very driven. They wanted to like work for these special companies, these impressive companies. They wanted to like pursue these careers of extreme ambition, something I didn't really grow up around. And basically, like when you're capable at stuff, you just look around and be like, well, if they're going to do it, I want to compete too. And like, I want to try and do these impressive things. And compounding that, like the insecurity of being a young male, you're seeking the stories such that you feel special. And pursuing an impressive career is one of the easiest ways to do that because almost everyone looks at it as a positive thing to do. The more money you make in our society, especially the US, the more impressive people think you are. And that's just the fact of life. And it was actually fine for me. I went into finance at first, then I broke into strategy consulting. And I loved strategy consulting. It was so challenging. It was so interesting. It was so crazy that I got to work on these really interesting business problems. However, over time, that learning for me turned into learning how to do spreadsheets, learning how to solve hard problems, learning how to communicate to learning how to act like other people, learning how to dress like other people, learning how to fit in and please clients learning how to react on Sundays when clients send angry emails. And I didn't really like that kind of learning. And I sort of just had this hunch that like there was more to life. I think part of it also was like a growing up with this first generation college mindset. Like I was making a hundred grand by the age of like 27. That was like more money than I knew what to do with. The people I was working with, they were like, oh, like my goal is to eventually make a million dollars a year. I thought these people were from a different planet. I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, we've made it already. So I was sort of growing disconnected with the path. I went through some health challenges and sort of like, I always just felt like, okay, this is crazy that we devote so much energy to doing work, especially when it's on sort of nonsense that doesn't really matter. And eventually I just decided I had to blow it up. And walk away. Yeah, that's interesting. It it kind of reminds me of like that old old phrase you hear about like be careful who your friends and colleagues are because you know you'll if your five closest friends are you know kind of deadbeats you know super into drugs and alcohol high probability that you end up joining them in their habits. But if your five friends are you know high performers, they want to succeed, they want to build and create. You know, if you surround yourself with people like that, you're much more likely to be like them. But there's that kind of double-edged sword that comes with that of chasing that success. You end up on this hedonic treadmill of chasing whatever it is is next in your life. That could be 
you know, getting your job out of college, making more money, buying a house, getting married, having having kids. I think some people just never take a second to question whether or not that's the right path for them. They just do it because that's what society tells us to do. I would even challenge this like rat race competition framing, which a lot of people use, but I don't think the lived reality of it actually maps up to that. I think what's happening instead is that like people pretty much do this year what they did last year. And then they keep sort of doing that the rest of their lives. The problem is we sort of pick a path about what we're excited about when we're like 22. And then we wake up 10 to 15 to 20 to 25 years later, and we're still sort of just doing that thing. But we haven't stopped to assess like, what has actually changed? What has the environment done to me? Have my principles won out against this environment or have they been undermined? Right? So it's like, you're not even like chasing something. It's easier to stay on the path and keep succeeding in something that from the outside in looks like a chase than to step away. And I think mm-hmm. a big challenge for me in figuring out how can I step away was I didn't have any imagination of another possible life. I didn't know people like you existed. Like I didn't know people founded companies. I didn't know entrepreneurs are working on their own. I didn't know freelancers. I didn't know anyone except people who had structured their life around working full-time. Yeah, that's interesting. Would you say this concept of a rat race or whatever you want to call it, is that the default path? And you know, what exactly is this default path? And do you, do you see any other alternatives to it? Well, I think this rat race comes from the people who are hyper-driven. And there's a subset of people who are like hyper-driven and you put them in any sort of incentive system and they're going to max it out, right? So they could be an entrepreneur and they'll just go crazy working every hour of the day, making as much money as possible, right? You put them in a sales job and they're going to try and be the number one salesperson and crush like every single metric that they're supposed to hit. Those people are not the norm though. And I think this is where the disconnects come from in people like buying into a lot of hustle culture is that those things actually work for a small subset of people. But then when they like map them out to like, oh, I need to have a side hustle. Me personally, I'm somebody that like never figured out how to make money on my on the side of a full time job. I had like no energy left. And the more people I talk to, I'm convinced that like a vast majority of people sort of don't have the energy to like crush it, right? So that's sort of the challenge with this rat race framing is we think we need to be doing more, 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 more. But oftentimes to do more, you often have to do less first, which I think is like a little bit of what you were experiencing when we first talked, right? You had left this startup and you'd been going for like these bold goals, but then the goals kind of disappear and you're like, oh, what am I supposed to do now? Oh, totally. And you know, you're talking about the the high driven, you know, hustle culture, the the person who just runs themselves into the ground to be successful. That was me during the first like four or five years of of running Pymage Search. Like that, I was working a a nine to five job throughout all of college. Throughout all of college, like I, I didn't have traditional nine to five hours because I was allowed to be remote and I was doing web development, but Effectively, I was working 40 hours a week in undergrad. I was working 40 hours a week in graduate school doing, doing my PhD. And then I graduated and 
you know, this this company that I had started, like it wasn't making enough money to pay the bills, so I had to get a traditional nine to five job. But I was waking up at four thirty five in the morning and working on Pi Research from that time up to about eight nine o'clock, and then I'd work my normal day job, and then after five o'clock, I'd go back to to hustling on on Pi Research. I would work, I would do that every day. And on weekends, it was the same thing. I would spend like about 6 a.m. on Saturday, Saturdays and Sundays to like probably noon or one working on, on Pioneer Search. And I did that for years. I mean, absolute years. I couldn't even go on a vacation and disconnect. My brain wouldn't allow me to do it. Cell phones are awesome and great, but the problem is they also give you instant internet connectivity. So I could like tether my phone to my laptop and I just wanted to milk every single second out of every day. So I'd be sitting in a cab on a bouncy ass road, giving myself a headache and making myself feel nauseous, answering emails on my laptop or writing code or, or doing something like that. I was just running myself into the ground strictly because like, I just wanted to succeed that badly. Now, there were certainly psychological reasons for that. I, I grew up in an unsafe environment and you know, unbeknownst to me at the time, because hindsight's twenty twenty, but I was chasing success and financial freedom to kind of fix things from my from my past, from my yeah. childhood. And, you know, I think that is a, if you have that, that drive in you, I think that's admirable and it's great. You just, you have to understand that's not going to last forever. You cannot sustain yourself at that level without making yourself mentally or physically sick and probably both. Yeah, and I think that's the sort of self-awareness that is hard to tap into while you're in that mode as well. The crazy thing about my path is I was never in like full hustle mode. But in the sense of how I was living my life, I was fully in worker mode almost all the time, right? Because the weekends and my disconnects at night were all about just like resting and recovering for more work, right? Mm -hmm. And a vacation was just the like, okay, I need to treat myself because I've earned this. I need to rest so that I can do more work. I need to join this networking thing because it will help me in my career. I need to look a certain way. And it was only upon leaving that that I sort of looked back and was, was like, I went from this person in college that like had a personality and had some like direction of like who he was becoming and just sort of like became just like everyone else, right? And in that, like, since everyone else is doing the same thing, you don't realize that you're becoming this different way. And now, like, I'm just like much more connected to who I am and my own fears and insecurities. And I have a better sense of like why I'm doing things. I also just don't think I'm that special anymore. It's weird to hear intros like yours. Because... <laughs> A lot of times I feel pretty silly about what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what comes next. But to me, that's also beautiful because I've like tapped into like a, an essence or like a state of being that is basically just more connected to how the world actually operates. We have no idea what's happening. We can't really predict the future. Yeah, but totally. And I think... You're talking about just going along with what the flow is, is excellent. Like, and and never taking the time to to reassess. Like, should I be doing this? Is this right for me? And I'll, I'll give you like what seems like a trivial example on the surface, but developed into like such a problem with for me that it it was really consuming at at one point in my life. Like, 
I was working these crazy long hours. And at the end of the day, I'd just be flat out exhausted. I'd be drained. I'd be like, all right, it's like five o'clock, six o'clock now. I've literally been working for 12 hours straight. My brain is fried. I'm going to walk down to the bar and like have a beer and like some dinner and, you know, just chill out and try and relax. Except that became like habitual. And then like, that's just what I did at the end of the day. It's like, I would just like have a drink or two or on a bad day, like three or four drinks. At some point, you just never question it. It just becomes part of your your daily routine. And like, I'm using drinking as, as an example, but there are tons of other other examples people use, whether it's, you know, you know, sex or porn or, or drugs. Like there are tons of examples of, of people just falling into these habits, which, you know, in moderation, there's nothing wrong with. But when you kind of take these to these extreme levels, you know, you're not you're not really taking care of yourself and you don't have that reflection. And I think what what you've done is phenomenal because you've reached this this state where you're able to create time for yourself where you can reflect. And I think that takes a lot of courage to do because you're breaking from this default path. And I'm I'm just curious, like, how did you get to that point? How did you develop this sense of courage to really not just question it, but break from it completely, even with friends and families being critical of you at, at times? It's interesting. So two things. I think one, the drinking thing is really interesting. Over and over again, I talk to people who become self-employed and drinking they don't stop drinking consciously. Drinking falls out of their life. And this sort of happened to me. And I realized like I had a toxic relationship with alcohol. We sort of think of it as like alcoholism is you drink too much every day and you're sort of like addicted. That wasn't me, but I would drink every weekend. 95% of weekends probably in my 20s. That was the thing. Like you get drunk on the weekend because that's what everyone's doing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. 100% drink, right. Drink. Yeah. And it's sort of this silent conspiracy that it's like, all right, let's decompress and we'll agree not to go super deep about why we're living like this. <laughs> and then you see, like, I write about this a little bit in the book. I don't think it's courageous what I did. I feel like I didn't have any other choices left. I kept searching for like a path. I kept searching for a dream job. I, I had like nine jobs in, I don't know, 14 years, if you count internships. And I just never found like the thing. I'm not sure there is like a thing, but I never found like a state or an environment. It was like, yes, I love this. I feel like I'm thriving. I never felt like I had a chance to thrive. I never looked around and saw mentors or older people, especially older men. that was like, yeah, I want to be like this person. I did find some women I admired, but they kept dropping out of the workforce to raise their kids. <laughs> that probably should have given me a clue. But yeah, I, I sort of ran out of options. And then I ran into a manager, which I had a really hard time with. He was all in worker mode. Work was his life. He had integrated it fully. And it was sort of working for him. But like, I don't know, we just never saw eye to eye. It didn't work well. And I just wanted to like run away. So when I left, I didn't feel like I had any option left. I didn't really have a good plan and I just wanted to escape. I had some savings to like figure it out for a year, but like I didn't even have a plan. Like I just wanted to run away and like I was using the story of like, oh, freelance in the first year, but like I had no idea what I was doing. It was really scary. And yeah, the criticism from friends and family sucked. It made it a lot worse. 
And those first couple of years are really tough on me because I felt like I had to defend myself. I felt like I had to have a story. And it wasn't until I really got in touch with like that insecurity of like, where's this all coming from? Why do I need to feel like I'm successful? Why do I care what others see in me? And like some things just don't go away. I still have the need of like being appreciated and it's still hard. Like I still get some rough comments. Like even though on paper I've like made it and like I'm still figuring it out and paying for my own life. People are so uncomfortable with my state of affairs because they've bought so deeply into a story about how life should work. They can't even imagine doing it any other way. I was talking about having kids with a family friend this summer and she was like, Oh, so you're going to buy a house? I was like, No, I don't think so. I don't think I have the money for a house right now. She's like, uh, you said you guys want to have kids. Like, how would that work? I was like, well, you're allowed to raise kids in a rental. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> she goes, oh, I, I never thought about that. <laughs> it's like, what? This is so crazy. People just don't question these things, right? And I just have to question them. My need to question things is what has led me to this. And I've sort of figured out like, I'm okay with all these trade-offs and it might actually make my life better. That's great. You use the word successful there. And I think to a lot of people, successful, maybe like, you know, making a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, half a million a year, whatever. Could be a, a mansion, a luxury car, a, a vacation home in Cabo. You know, those are what I think a lot of people just default to, to thinking like successful looks like. But I think it could be something else. I think successful can be a mindset. And first and foremost, I think it takes dropping your ego and and stopping comparing yourself to people of, of what their definition of successful is. Like, So I want to ask you, what is your definition of successful? How do you determine if you, Paul, are successful at any given moment? Yeah, our our world is super tied to extrinsic success, right? Money, status, fame. And I sense that most people need to hit some marker of that at some point in their life. It just can be unbearable if you don't have like something you can point to, right? Mm -hmm. It's just how the world works. It sort of sucks. And I think especially when young, that sort of chase can in a weird way be somewhat beneficial, I think. Because just like picking a stupidly arbitrary direction can be helpful like early in your life. Because we're all just making it up as we go. So like we might as well pick some sort of direction or a path. The challenge becomes if we're still only aiming at extrinsic rewards as we age, we will become disconnected from the opportunities of being human, which are to stumble upon a deeper sort of what I call second chapter of success. Like aligning our lives with the things we claim to care about, right? And one of the things in my path was I wrote this essay to myself in business school when I was 27 and reflected on it five years later. I had all these things I claimed to care about, but I wasn't pulling any of them off. It's really interesting for me, like, how can I align with that? And one of the things was like, I don't know, full-time work was making me grumpy. <laughs> so I 
wanted to figure out one, just how to be a nicer person to like create more opportunities for myself. And I've sort of done that on self-employment. So like success very practically for me is, can I keep this journey going without harming the people in my life? So far, yes, right? I'm responsible to like take care of me and my wife, who's also on her own pathless path and self-employment journey. She's still trying to figure out how to make money online. And if I can do that, like that's pretty good. And then I don't know, I don't I don't really have like any goals. Like it's nice to make a little more money as long as I can do it on the terms I'm like okay, opting in. But I don't know, maybe this is because like I didn't have much expectations. Like I do feel like I made it in like the extrinsic success of like okay, I made like six figures in a full-time job and I broke into like good companies and work for a really good grad school. That's like plenty. I don't need anything else. I don't need any awards. I don't need any. And so in this like creator economy, which we're both dabbling in, like I'm so much willing to take it slower. <laughs> like I'm not in a rush. I'm not aiming at any outcomes. I'm willing to take it like three times longer than most other people because like I'm just optimizing for trying to have fun on the journey. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. You know, you you were talking about the importance of, you know, maybe when you when you're younger, like maybe taking a little more risks or pushing yourself a little a little harder and maybe going along with the a little bit more of for lack of a better word, calling it the the default path. And I I really do think that's true. And from a human history perspective and from a mythology perspective, that's effectively the hero's journey. You know, when you're leaving home, you're going out on your own, you're you're really putting yourself out there and putting putting yourself at, at risk, trying to prove yourself and accomplish something. And I think for young men in particular, this is absolutely critical. And and if you avoid it, it's only going to hurt you later on in life because you're not going your ego is not going to develop properly. You're not going to have proper self esteem. It can affect just so many areas of of your life. I think it was Jordan Peterson who says that you have to be able to slay that dragon when you're young. You know, like find that dragon and slay it because that shows not only to yourself but maybe a little bit to others for that extrinsic validation that you are who you say you are that you set out and you you accomplish those goals but what happens after that i think is really important once you've slayed that dragon and you have something maybe to hang your hat on at the end of the day saying like oh i you know consulted for this company or you know i made x amount of dollars per year or i went to this prestigious school well that's great and now that you've accomplished that you can't live in the past anymore. Now it's time to start living on your own. I, I think that's just absolutely critical to a happy, sustainable life is slay that dragon early if you can. And if you haven't yet, then maybe you do need to focus on slaying the dragon, focus on the default path. But to me, more important part of life, the real part of living comes afterwards. Does, does that make any sense? Or am I just like talking nonsense right now? I think it makes sense. Though I sense that a lot of paths don't actually quite deliver the hero's journey. A lot of the people that like read my book and like follow my writing are like knowledge workers in places where like you can earn a really good income. And I think the problem with a lot of paths we follow in today's world is that it's too easy too soon, right? And we confuse financial success with ultimate success, right? And we get lazy. We sort of just like lock in and glide into the journey. You make six figures, 
but you haven't figured anything out about life, right? So it's disconnected from your actual journey of growth, right? So I, I think in many ways, the jobs and career paths people are on and like you have an audience of developers. Developers solve their money problem often in like 12 months into like one job, right? Maybe even faster if they're freelancing. The life problem of like, what kind of life do I want to live takes much longer. So it's sort of disconnected from financial realities. And I think one of the things that is changing is like, this is disconnected. Our previous generations have these myths of like, put your head down, trust the company, work a career, somewhat out of necessity. The fact is like, for somebody starting their career in like 1970, you did have to put your head down and trust the company and keep working because like you weren't earning far beyond what life cost. Now, like many people are earning more money and doing so much earlier in their life and they are tricking themselves into thinking they are succeeding, which case they've actually shortchanged themselves of like a deeper, more meaningful journey that is going to nudge them to grow and help them become the person they actually want to be. That makes so much, so much sense and just so eloquently said. And speaking of like jobs and and success, I want to read one of my favorite quotes from your book. It goes, on the default path, you have to get the job before you can do the work. On the pathless path, you simply do the work first and then decide if you want to continue. This reminds me of the concept of needing to quote unquote, ask permission to do something. As online creators, it's easy to jump in and actually try something before committing to it. So do you have any tips for people who may be stuck in this ask permission mode and then help them transition instead to this doing first mode? Well, I think one of the biggest traps is we conceive of everything as an all or nothing leap, right? You might say to somebody, why don't you try to like sell something online? And they're like, oh, there's so much to do. You have to like set up a business, do it LLC. It's like, no. What can you do in the next two weeks? And once you do it, what's the path to quitting? Right? And this stops people from making all or nothing financial commitments as well. Right? So I call this like ship, quit, and learn. The only like point is to ship something, design it for quitting. And then the goal is to learn what to do next. In the process of doing the experiment, the answer is often obvious. Oh, that was really fun. I'm going to keep doing that. Right. And then just keep leveling up from there and like strategically look for ways to like level up your commitment at times when you're feeling stagnant or you feel like you're not learning anything. But like the key is to like quit stuff and learning how to do experiments is like non trivial to learn. Like you probably had an easier time because you went straight into entrepreneurship, but like just the sense that like you can just do things now. is like very hard for people to grasp. Oh, I could never do that. I'm not the kind of person that does those kind of things. It's like, why are we convincing ourselves of this? And like the mass culture of like, you can't just write a book. You need permission. And people secret desperately. People will create like an entire year journey for themselves just to get approval from a publisher to write a book they could have finished already. You can just do things. And so like, how I approach my journey, like the meta layer of it is like, I want to just do stuff on my own so I can like show people, yeah, you can just do things. I want to walk the talk too. Which case, like my book is all done by me. 
I'm the publisher. I'm the distributor. I can pull it from anywhere in the world right now and stop like selling it anywhere and like sell it wherever I want. There's no rules against that. But yeah, it's hard to tap into that because like if you're an employee or you've gone to school your whole life, you're taught that like you need permission before you do something. You spend months preparing for interviews such that you can finally do the finance analyst job, right? Working on your own, that doesn't work. You need to just start trying to find a freelance client and just do it. And speaking of, you know, self-publishing, like everything that I did at Pine Research was 100% self-published. Like I wrote and self-published all my books, all of my courses. And that creates this sort of choose your own adventure scenario for me and trying to achieve the, the psychological safety that I was you know, really yearning for and trying to attain. That really made me work super long hours, push myself super hard. But I was more willing to do that because I was owning the entire process. It was all me. It was it was my business. That certainly changed as we as the company grew and brought on other team members. But in the beginning, it was certainly about what I wanted to achieve, and I I didn't have to ask permission from the existing company or an employer or a boss. Like I just went out and did that. That was my path. But there certainly are other alternative paths. Like if you didn't want to work as hard as I did, and hey, more power to you. Like you could go at a slower pace. You could self publish. You could blog on your own time, write newsletters on your own time, and you can really craft a work schedule that is about your life instead of the opposite, which is having a work schedule and trying to get your life to fit in with these odds and ends of time you have to work with. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's another big thing on the path. I was talking to a group earlier today, and one of the things we sort of just default into is you should work most work days of most weeks of the entire year, right? And something you can remix is rethinking like, what does your ideal work month or ideal work year look like? We sort of just act like naturally fall into these work rhythms. And I don't think full-time work is ideal for most people. I've actually found sometimes that like I prefer going all in, like working crazy days like you used to sometimes for like two or three days when I'm really excited. But then also knowing I should follow that with like two, three days completely off. Right. And that for me is like way more sustainable, actually, than like five days of like medium level work. Oh, totally. And don't you also do something where you take every sixth or seventh week off, like completely and just go do your own thing? Yeah. So I've been doing that for about a year now. Yeah, I think a year. Every seventh week. Haven't done it perfect, but like the spirit is definitely there. And like I'd say every seventh week, I take most of those days really for like serious rest and contemplation or wandering or hang out with my wife. And yeah, another thing I recently started doing is at the start of these seven week periods, writing a letter to a informal board which is basically just like friends and people that are interested in my journey. And I say, Hey, here's what I'm going to do in these six weeks. Here are the things I'm struggling with. Here's what I'm thinking about. And it really just helps me put like a grounding in things. I was actually finding that like, I'm very good at non-work. What I was not good at was like, turning a lot of these like half-baked ideas into action and like testing it and quitting it. 
So like I was very good at that in the first few years. But then when I got like a few things I was like making money from and like working on, a lot of my time was spent on like maintenance mode or just like admin mode. And I was like not shipping the things as much. So these six-week work chunks, I really just pick like one or two priorities. And then I just go hard on them. Not like hard in terms of like working crazy, but like, okay, this is the priority. I want to be accountable for like what I claim to be doing. And I'm going to see how I did at the end of the six weeks. And then I write about it. And then I'm like, oh, that worked really well. I can't believe I didn't try that before. Or that bombed. I'm just not going to do that anymore. I love that. I It's something I've been toying with as well. Is just trying to figure out like what the proper work schedule is for me personally. Because when I get really excited about something, like I want to go hard on it. And I just want to be like yeah. obsessed, like absolutely obsessed with it and like make that my entire existence for like a few days or even a few weeks at a, at a time. But after that, I'm really just emotionally and physically tired and I need time to, to recharge. And I think being able to take, you know, every, whatever the cadence is, whether it's five, six, seventh week off or whatever, just take that time to yourself and schedule in that, that self-reflection, man, that's, that's critical to the longevity and sustainability of of your uh, creation mode of, of your soul almost. Yeah, it's really hard to disconnect. I think in these weak periods now, I'm able to disconnect very quick. I can drop into sort of a non-doing, more contemplative mode a lot quicker. But it took me about two years. I took probably like my first month after I quit my job. It was just like true non-work mode. And then I took about two months, about six months in. And then when I moved to Taipei, I had like an extended break of three months. And then I had another month break the year after that. And in those one month off breaks or longer, I was able to slip into like a deeper state, which was just like, oh, wow, you look around, it's like life's like pretty simple. (laughs) We have to eat to get like shelter to meet our basic needs. And then there's all the advanced stuff we're trying to do. But like, I'm okay. And like, as long as I can slip back into that state, I can sort of remind myself that you're okay. Like, you're going to be just fine. And also just like figure out like, okay, what to lean back into more. I think this past year for me has been tipping into an ambition mode, which would have been really scary for me four or five years ago, which is like reminding myself like, you're safe, you're okay. Like, you're not going to create another job for yourself. Like, you've been doing this for five years now, giving myself this pep talk. It's like, you can push a little harder and just see what it's like. And I did that, like, with relaunching my podcast. And, like, I was like, oh, I remember I loved having these conversations. And I tried to find sponsors, and it sort of just worked. And, like, I'm still fine. Like, it's like, okay, I did those six weeks. I went a little harder, and, like, I'm okay. There weren't many trade-offs to make there. So yeah, it sort of works in many different directions. I've heard you talk many times before about the importance of, of writing in your life. And I know you have your newsletter, you have your book, you do your podcast as well. Do you have any advice for listeners who are just getting started with writing and teaching others? I think at the beginning, there's this phase you have to get over, which is basically just like forcing yourself to ship. And like just getting yourself in the rhythm of it. And this is if you want to like share your ideas and thoughts publicly, like you just need volume. 
It's like commit to like a hundred posts, do one that one a day. Like you need a forcing mechanism. Do like 30 posts in 30 days, something. Something just to like get the gunk out of your system, get over the initial insecurity, realize you're not gonna die if you share your your feelings online. Maybe get your first hater, maybe get your first fan too, but realize like I'm gonna be okay. And then in the in that period, you'll usually know if you want to keep going. Like a lot of people say they want to be writers, but like what I've found is like writing sort of chooses you and like writing always appeared in my life. I just wasn't paying attention because I never saw it as like a real thing. But as soon as I quit my job, I was like writing all the time. And so now I sort of know that like I like this. And if writing is falling out of my life, something's off. I think it's one of these things that like never stops being challenging. Like I was working on something today and it's like so hard. I can't like find the words. You just got to keep like diving in and keep trying. It's like writing a book does not give you some magical ability to like figure out the next thing you want to write. That makes it challenging and fun. And talking about like slaying a dragon, it's like there is no end point with writing. It's like this will continue to challenge me for decades. And that's really exciting for me because... A lot of the career stuff was not like that. It was sort of like, all right, you've made it. And like, then you just do the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Effectively, what you're talking about is an infinite game, right? Like, you want to keep yeah. playing for as long as you possibly can. Exactly. Awesome. Well, I think that's a really great place to wrap it up for today. If people want to chat or connect or, or pick up a copy of your book, what's the best place to reach you at? Yeah, Twitter, I'm pretty active on Paul Millard. Also, just think boundless.com. They can find links to the book in my newsletter. I write most weeks. That's what I say. I don't really commit to like every week, but most weeks I do send something. And if you don't want to spend money on the book, I'm happy to uh, gift it to you. Uh, just reach out. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being here on the show today, Paul. Awesome. Thank you, Adrian, too. If you have any questions about this episode or suggestions for future episodes, send me an email at questions at infoproductmastery.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review in whatever podcatcher app you use, whether it's Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or Spotify. Not only do these reviews help motivate me to create new episodes, but they also help other developers, educators, and entrepreneurs find the show. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.